Well, the new year often offers the opportunity for a new beginning. And today, as you open up God's Word with me to look at the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 31, we will see a time of new beginning in Jacob's life. And we have uh, been looking at Jacob's life once again and will be for the next several weeks under a series titled Fixer Upper. I don't know how many of you have seen the HGTV television show Fixer Upper. Uh, personally, I'm not uh, a huge fan. I don't have anything against HTV. I'm not a huge fan of HTV, but I do live with someone who is. And so I have seen this show a time or two uh, where I believe uh, the couple, Chip and Joanna, uh, from Waco, Texas, they go into houses that are dilapidated and falling apart, and they uh, begin to remodel those houses and redesign those houses so that they are worth uh, far more money uh, and reach their full potential. Well, when we look at uh, a character like Jacob's life, uh, we quickly realize that he uh, is human, and by human, he is flawed. Uh, Though God had chosen him, much like Abraham and Isaac, his father and grandfather, to be used in a great way in the uh, overarching redemptive plan of God, he was not chosen because he had everything together. He was not chosen because he uh, was uh, a man of exemplary character. There were moments in his life where he displayed great uh, trust in God, and, and today's passage is one of those moments, but he was someone who God chose to use uh, and to fix him up for his purposes. In other words, he is a flawed man that God had chosen to use in his greater plan of redemption, and uh, in his use of Jacob, like many others, he had a great work of transformation to do in uh, and through Jacob's life, and I hope that is Uh, a comforting reality for the rest of us because we uh, all are um, all too aware most of the time of our own flaws, of our own shortcomings. Yet like Jacob, uh, God has also chosen to use us. He has called us and he has chosen to use us in his great story and his great plan uh, of redemption. Though Jacob made mistakes, ultimately he trusted in the Lord. And likewise, as people of faith and the God of Scripture, uh, though we are flawed, though we make many mistakes, ultimately we are called upon to trust in the Lord. And going forward, we can know that God is with us and that he watches over us, that he protects us and his presence and protection should spark our participation in his plan. Assured of God's presence and protection, we must obey God's call by participating in his plan. That's a biblical truth that we learn from Jacob's life. That's a biblical truth that surfaces throughout scripture. And that's a truth certainly that is applicable to our lives Today And as you find your place in Genesis chapter 31, let me invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. This story comes right on the heels of much prosperity in Jacob's life. You'll remember chapter 30 in the final verse of chapter 30. We read about Jacob becoming exceedingly rich, very prosperous, many servants, much livestock. And here in chapter 31 verse 1, we pick up the story. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, 
Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. And remember that Laban is Jacob's father-in-law. So Jacob uh, hears that Laban's sons, Jacob's brother-in-law, brothers-in-law, are not too happy with Jacob. They think that he has taken everything that their father owned. And likewise, verse 2, we read that Laban's attitude was not what it had been in the past toward Jacob. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah, his two wives, to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. Verse 10, in breeding season, Jacob said, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. And the story continues and Jacob goes and shares this with Rachel and Leah as two wives and and they see what he's talking about. They agree with him. They take his side and vow to leave with him, to follow him where where God leads them to go. And then we we read about their departure in verses 17 and following. And in verse 19 we have a little side note about Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife, stealing the household gods of her father Laban. And then they head out for the hill country of Gilead, verse 21. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do ask that you would guide us now as we seek to understand and interpret this story that is part of your greater story and apply it to our own lives today as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, Jacob is obviously in trouble with his in-laws. His father-in-law has turned on him, no longer favors him, and his brothers-in-law are jealous of him. And I thought about titling uh, this sermon something like Trouble with uh, the In-Laws, but after spending several days with my own in-laws, I didn't want to uh, miscommunicate uh, any of my uh, own love for m- my wife's family. As a matter of fact, I love my in-laws. They uh, are fantastic. But uh, Jacob was not uh, so fortunate here. And as he's sharing this information with Rachel and Leah, uh, it's almost as if he's getting in a, a daddy war, a daddy fight. You know, you, you think of, of young boys that uh, are speaking to one another and getting a, a verbal fight about whose daddy is the best, or my dad's better than your dad, or my dad's stronger than your dad, or, or, or whatever, you fill in the blank. Well, here Jacob is talking to Rachel and Leah, and he is saying, your father has cheated me. Yada, 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 change my wages ten times. But he says, the God of my father has protected me. 
The God of my father has, has taken care of me. And here Jacob has been in a good situation. Certainly he has some family drama that's taking place, but he is prospering. He has much. He's been given much, blessed in abundant ways by, by God. Yet God called him to leave that behind and to trust him to go to the land that he would show him. And the reality is, according to God's word, and we certainly see this right here in the story of Jacob, that God calls his people often to abandon worldly pursuits and worldly prosperity in order to fulfill his plans. God calls his people to abandon worldly pursuits and worldly prosperity in order to fulfill his his plans. I'm not necessarily saying that God calls us to give up everything in order to, to follow the direction that He has for us, but He does call us to give up the pursuit of these things in order to follow after, after Him and to be part of His plan and part of His program. And God does have a plan. God has a grand plan, and His plan ultimately will be accomplished. And He invites us as His people to participate in His plan. And often circumstances and the word of the Lord are given to us so as to encourage us to to faithfully follow his leadership in our lives. Through circumstances and his word, God's word, God often encourages our obedience. Through circumstances and his word, God often encourages our our obedience. That's what's taking place here in Jacob's life. Jacob's in a good situation, but the situation is gradually becoming more tense. It says family is no longer accepting him and mistreating him. And in addition to that, God speaks to Jacob in verse 3. He says, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. Circumstantial encouragement, certainly the word of the Lord calling. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like circumstances were taking place in order to encourage you to follow the direction of the Lord or to obey the voice of of the Lord. I think this is often true in all of our lives. Perhaps we don't recognize it when it comes to sin and temptation. We experience temptation toward a certain sin in a given moment. And God often provides or always provides, Scripture teaches, a way out of that. And often that avenue out is, is clear if we'll only open our eyes to see it. If God has ever apparently interrupted your life in such a way as to direct your path, and I think of my own call and and wrestle with with what God was leading me to do in my life, and as I wrestled with the direction He was having me go, the career that He was leading me to pursue, I wrestled with these things, as probably many of of you did. I remember being unsure and feeling drawn toward church ministry and and vocational ministry, but it was very, very unclear. I didn't know what that looked like, but it just so happened that I'd already committed to go into a school where I was able to, to study ministry, study scripture, to study Christian studies. And as I did, it was clear that, that God had directed that path and those circumstances gave further validity and confirmation of what God was doing in my life. And I, even so, I began to question that a little bit and began to think about, well, perhaps there's another option. Perhaps there's a better option. Maybe I've misinterpreted the direction God has for me. And so I remember going home and taking a day to shadow my dad and think, maybe, maybe I need to follow in my father's footsteps and watch him perform a, 
a long surgery uh, one day. Certainly intrigued, but this was not for me. Uh, and uh, if, if you know anything about my recent history, uh, perhaps in another country, then there was further clarification that that was not the direction God had for me. But often God uses circumstances to clarify and to prod our obedience to Him, pushing us in the direction of faithfulness and obedience to the direction that He has for us. And as if circumstances in the Word of God are not enough, the character of God and the actions of God further encourage our confidence to obey God. God's character and His actions should provide confidence to obey. It's people who believe in the God of Scripture, the one true God, and believe the stories of the way this God has, has acted and revealed Himself in Scripture. We can rest assured that His character and His actions are reason enough to provide confidence for our obedience to Him. This is essentially what Jacob is saying when he speaks to his wives. and He's saying, my circumstances have not been that great. They've, they've turned worse. Sure, I've been given a lot, but it's not because... My father-in-law Laban has, has given it to me. It's because God has given it to me. What Laban intended for harm, God has, has used for good because God is just and He is gracious. He's compassionate and He is with me and His character is unchanging. In church, because this is true about the God that we worship, we can confidently obey Him. We can confidently follow the direction, the path that He has for us as His, His people. But often we get sidetracked, don't we? Often we pursue our, our own way. Often we have other selfish ambitions that we want to pursue on our own. And essentially, I think this is what Rachel is doing here. Rachel agrees to follow Jacob in the direction that he would go, but she doesn't depart her father's house without first stealing something from him, taking something that's dear to him, his household gods. And I think through her example and her her shortcomings, her, her failure to, to fully trust and obey and, and to follow the Lord, we learn that faithfulness to God leaves no room for personal, selfish agendas. Faithfulness to God leaves no room for personal, selfish agendas. And it's interesting, throughout the story, and we'll see more of it in just a few minutes, we don't have a word of commendation or condemnation for Rachel and what she's done, but in the greater context of God's Word and who He is and who He calls us to be as people of integrity and of trust in Him, we know that her actions are not commendable. This was not something that she should have done. and It's difficult for us to even understand why she was doing this, but some scholars believe that somehow these household gods were tied in some way to the favor and inheritance of the father. So perhaps Rachel is trying to get back at her father for taking something that's valuable to her, for mistreating her, and in essence say, well, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to take something that is near and, and dear to you. But the reality for us is that we are either with God and pursuing the things of God and following the plan of God or we're not. There's really no middle ground, no neutral ground when it comes to faithfulness and obedience to God. We, either, either, we are either with Him or we are not. It's not God and us on the throne. It is God on the throne and He invites us and calls us to, to follow after Him. God calls us, but He doesn't leave us alone. We certainly know this and the fulfillment of His plan that ultimately comes 
through salvation in Christ, that at just the right time, the Son of God came to us and celebrated His coming recently, and ultimately He laid down His life for us. He was crucified in our place. He was raised from the dead by the power of God, and then He appeared to His followers, to His disciples, and He commissioned them to go out and make disciples of all nations, make other followers of Jesus, of all people. But you don't do this alone. I am with you. Surely I am with you always, Jesus said, to the very end of the age. Likewise, God was with Jacob. God called him to obey, and God said, I will be with you. Church, assured of God's presence and protection, we must obey God's call by participating in his plan. Well, let's look back at this portion of God's plan from Genesis chapter 31. And we're not going to read all of the chapter. We'll read one more section of this chapter, but this is a lengthy story, so I'm going to take the liberty to summarize portions of it. But Jacob and his family fled Laban and his household and took everything they had with them without telling Laban. Laban was off shearing his sheep. So Laban had no idea that they were leaving. Left suddenly, Rachel stole these household gods. They went away. When Laban finds out about this on the third day, he's very upset. He's very angry that they left without telling him. So he goes after them. He pursues them. And this is no day trip. This is a several day trip. And after seven days, we're told that he caught up with Jacob and his family and confronted him. He said, if you just would have told me, I could have sent you away with a celebration. Certainly in the context of the fullness of the story, we know that probably would not have been the case. These two did not have a history of getting along. Accuses Jacob. said, why? Why didn't you tell me you were leaving? And why did you take my household gods. And Jacob says, well, I I feared that you would harm me, that you didn't have my best interests in mind, so I fled on my way. But I've not taken anything. And if anyone in my house or my camp has taken anything, then that person is worthy of of death. He essentially says, unaware that his wife, Rachel, has, has stolen these goods. And so Laban comes and begins to search his camp. He searches the various tents. We read that he searches Jacob's tent. Searches Leah's tent, Laban's eldest daughter, the servant's tent, and finds nothing. And then he comes to Rachel's tent. Tension in the story grows and searches Rachel's tent and he finds nothing. And then he comes out and he sees Rachel sitting on a saddle, a camel. And essentially in verse 35, we have this weird interchange where Rachel says, it's my time of the month, please don't make me get up. She was hiding the goods, the gods, under her seat on the saddle. And that's the end of that portion of the story. And then Jacob gets upset, essentially takes Laban to task in verse 36. He says, Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime? He asked Laban. How have I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I've been with you, Jacob says, for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. In other words, I was an exemplary servant to you. I did all that you asked for. I didn't take anything from you. Verse 40, this was my situation. He says, the heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night. 
and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands and last night he rebuked you. You learn from this story and this portion of this story that in his plan, God provides protection for his people. In God's plan, he provides protection for his people. For Laban wanted to harm Jacob and God intervened. God said, I will be with you, implying his protection. But he also appears to Laban in a dream and says, don't harm him. Don't touch Jacob. Don't say anything good or bad to him. Don't do anything evil toward him. And God's protection may include his divine intervention in our own lives as well. God's protection may include his direct intervention in, in our lives. We can't misunderstand or misinterpret a passage like this. This does not mean that no harm will ever come on God's people. We know this isn't the case. Many examples in Scripture to the contrary. That it does not mean that God's people will not hurt. It doesn't mean that we won't face hardship or death or murder or cancer or whatever else. You fill in the blank. Often it's in those times that we ask, how could God allow this to happen to me? Or how could God allow this to happen to the people of faith? But we often fail to realize and to recognize that each and every moment, each and every hour, each and every day that we do have in this life, God is protecting us. He is sustaining us. And in the end, God protects all of His people for all of eternity as we forever enjoy the presence of God. But have you, like Jacob here, ever felt like this was true in your life? Have you ever recognized that God was clearly protecting you, clearly sparing you? Based on circumstances in your life, I dare say that there are probably some gathered here this morning that have felt that way, that for some reason, unknown to us, that God was protecting us, sparing us from harm that seemed as if it could have become could have come on us. Whenever that is the case, God is sparing us to continue using us. He's using us in His greater plan to proclaim His goodness to the ends of the world. God's protection may include His direct intervention. And we also see here, and we don't have time to go into detail here, that God's people may appeal to the righteousness of God. God's people may appeal to who He is, His character, His righteousness, His goodness, and His grace. And essentially, this is what Jacob does before Laban. Laban accuses Jacob, and Jacob says, well, you've changed my wages ten times. I've, I've worked hard for you for 20 years, and if God had not spared me, if God had not protected me, if God had not blessed me, then I would have nothing. But God is righteous, He is good, and He has been gracious to me. God has been gracious to us as well. And then finally, we see here that God's people may pursue peace with unbelievers. God's people may pursue peace with unbelievers. The rest of this story in Genesis chapter 31 is a story of a peace treaty between Laban and Jacob. Two men that have a history of deceiving one another, of not getting along. And Laban, in essence, says, your God has protected you. I I cannot harm you, but please make this treaty with me so that I won't harm, so that you won't harm me. In other words, they agree to go separate ways, to say their goodbyes and 
It's a reminder for us as people who are called to participate in God's plan, to get with His program of carrying His glory, His message of salvation to the people of the world. It's a reminder for us that God is the Prince of Peace, that He is a God of peace, and He doesn't call us to to go about the task of proclaiming His goodness with hostility or animosity or in war in His name. Ultimately, God calls us to participate in carrying the message of peace in and through Jesus Christ in a way that reflects that He is a God of peace and God who has brought peace about in our own lives as His people. Church, assured of God's presence and protection, we must obey God's call on our lives by participating in His plan. So how do we know how to participate in his plan? Jacob had a very specific calling. And as we said last week, we are not Jacob. We're not called to do just as Jacob was called to do. We don't have the same role that Jacob was to play, but we are as people of faith in the God of Scripture called to participate in the overarching plan of God. And if we are going to do that with any degree of faithfulness or success, we need to know what God's plan is. So in summary, I want to use four words to quickly describe the overarching plan of God. And the first of those is creation. Creation, fall, redemption, and promise. For God has created the world and all who are in it. He has created us. And as people, as human beings, men, women, boys, and girls, He has created each of us with a, a unique role, a special place in His creation as the only creatures created in His image and in His likeness. To have an intimate relationship with Him for all of eternity. But we know the story. Ever since the first humans rebelled against God, all of us have done the same. We are sinners. We have fallen from a right relationship with, with God. And I don't want to imply here that the fall is part of God's plan. I don't ever want to imply that, that God is ever pleased with sin. Sin is not part of God's plan. That was mankind's rebellion against Him. But despite, despite our sin, God chose to redeem us. It is part of His story and His working with us. Despite our sin, God redeems us in and through Jesus Christ. Scripture says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the story, that we have been redeemed in and through Jesus Christ. That He has purchased us. He has bought us with a price, the price of His Son, and extends forgiveness to us, salvation by His grace, that we might forever enjoy a right and restored relationship with Him. But that's not the end of the story. We have the promise of Christ coming again. We celebrated in recent days Christ coming to us, the birth of a Savior, but this Savior will come again. And Jesus is speaking to His followers, to His disciples in John chapter 14, and He tells them that I will come again. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will return. I will come again. And the promise of God's Word is that Jesus, who is King, will return and gather all of God's people for all of eternity to enjoy His glorious presence. That is God's plan. That is is God's story. And it's a story that intersects with our lives as as people who've been the recipients of His call to follow and to obey Him. So how can we participate in this grand story of redemption that finds its root in the God of Scripture? Well, 
I'm so glad you asked. And I want to leave us with just a handful of ways that we can, in, that we can connect to that story, that we can participate in that story of redemption. And certainly this is not a, a full list. There are many other ways that we can do so. But here are a handful of ways that we as people of faith can participate in God's plan. Firstly, repent of your sin. Repent of, of your sin. God is perfect. He is holy. He is just. There are no other like Him. There is no other like Him. We have rebelled against Him. And, and we continue to sin against Him. Even as people of faith in Him. And whenever we do, let's repent of our sin. And believe in the God who has revealed Himself. Believe in the God of Scripture. Believe in the God who has made Himself known through His written Word. And the God who has made Himself known in and through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The incarnated Word. The One who has come to us and fully revealed God the Father to us. Let's repent of our sin and believe in the God who has revealed Himself to us. And let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's believe that He is who He says He is. And if He is who He says He is, then He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our singing. He is worthy of our prayers. He is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of our obedience in all that we do. So let's worship this Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn away from sin and and a self-absorbed life. And let's embrace a life that magnifies the name of Jesus Christ. And once we do, let's participate in the grand plan of God. By proclaiming this story of redemption to the people of the world. Let's proclaim God's story of redemption. Church, this is how we can participate in God's plan. We know that He is with us We know that He watches over us. We know that He goes with us. And we know that He has called us to be His people. So let's participate in God's story of redemption by repenting, by believing, by worshiping, and proclaiming His goodness until He comes again. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank you for your mercy on our lives. We thank you that though we are flawed, you call us to follow you. And Father, you clean up our lives by the power of your Spirit, working in us to conform each of us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray that you would continue to do so, that you would continue to transform each of us to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. And Father, we desire to to follow after Jesus, Lord, to be faithful believers in Jesus who, who have turned away from ourselves and towards you. Father, lead us as we respond to you. Hear our prayer of, through song. Lord, as we invite you to lead us, to be our guide, help us to follow you wherever you would take us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.